0: Well, if you weren't here last week, we have begun a study of the book of Revelation. We're going to be looking at the book of Revelation for the next several weeks. And um, if you were were here last week, if you were here last week, then I thank you for coming back because last week was the end of the the easy-to-understand stuff, Um, and it's going to be weird from here all the way until chapter 19. Um, And uh, then it kind of perks up there at the end, so um, if if you were here last week, and you got a taste of it, and you came back. Then, then, good for you. I appreciate it. Um, I have. I, I mentioned last week that I haven't preached from the Book of Revelation very frequently, but I have been involved in adult Bible studies for 25 years. Uh, sometimes as a participant, sometimes as the teacher. And one of the things I've discovered over those 25 years is nothing clears a room like a study of the Book of Revelation. Uh, people discover they have uh, trips they have to take, and. And projects at home. Uh, there's nothing that really empties a Bible study like a, bo- a study of the Book of Revelation. It's because it is so weird, and I'm going to try to do my best with the weird, um, uh, because a lot of a lot of what makes Revelation <laughs> seems weird is the symbolism, and then there's other things that I'm not going to be able to help you with, and uh, that's up to God. So uh, there are things that are going to be beyond my my pay pay grade. But some of the symbolism isn't all that bad um, if you understand the context of what's going on. Um, let me give you an example. Uh, you, you, you live in Alaska. Um, if, if I tell you I have a dream of uh, a raven who's being chased by a seagull, you might think, well, you had uh, bad pizza last night. But you may also think, hmm, he's, it's, he's thinking of spring in a very poetic sort of way, right? When the ravens go away and the seagulls come, right? We can understand it. We may not say, well, that's not the way I would say spring. I would say spring. I think we tend to be a lot more nuts and bolts in our culture today. We're not as poetically inclined. But we at least can get that. If I tell you I had a dream and I saw a, um, a fireweed and the purple flowers on top just kept growing and growing and growing and they never stopped growing, what would I be telling you? about? Well, I might be telling you that I don't want those six weeks to start with winter on the far end. So we understand that there's symbolism um, that, 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 makes, that makes sense to us because we understand the context. Now, um, the context that John is working in, as we saw last week, is a context of suffering. John is suffering. John is actually imprisoned. He's on um, Robin Island. He's on Alcatraz. He's on uh, Devil's Island. John has been put on an island off the coast of Asia Minor because he will not uh, do what the emperor has asked him to do. I've got a picture here of Alcatraz. So let me just kind of, when you see when you see the word Patmos, think. Alcatraz, or think uh, Robin Island, or something like that, Devil's Island, was a place where the emperor sent people that he didn't want in circulation. So uh, there John is um, uh, suffering on the island of Patmos. And we saw last week, uh, he's not alone. Uh, the letters that, that we looked at, one of them last week, the letters that Jesus sends to the churches, are talking about all the troubles that are going on um, with Christian churches. So that's the context that, that is going on. And um, what I'd like you to do as we, as we work through today's lesson is picture yourself. You're the guy on the chain gang next to John. Okay, now John had this revelation. He wrote it down and he got it off the island somehow. Um, but now you guys are busting rocks together and you're saying, John, I don't understand you Christians. Why don't you just bow down to the emperor? You wouldn't be here if you hadn't resisted. Why don't you just knuckle under and do what the emperor wants? He says, well, because my God tells me not to. And the the prisoner next to John would say, yeah, but what kind of God do you serve? I mean, if you're so faithful to him, why doesn't he save you? Why doesn't he do something for you? Is it that he just doesn't know what's going on with you? And... John would say, you know, no, I, that was covered in the first three chapters. He knows everything. He knows exactly. We saw that last week. He says, I have seen what you're dealing with. I know the troubles that are afflicting you. I see all that. So, no, that's not the problem. And he says, well, why not then? Why do you suffer so much if you're faithful? Why does your God not act to save you? That's a good question. Uh, You don't have to be a political prisoner on an island somewhere busting rocks on a chain gang to ask that question. I mean, we all know that the world is filled with suffering. And we may be having a good season, or maybe we're having a bad season, but we know that there is pain and heartache, there's loss, there's loneliness, there's oppression in this world. And a lot of it afflicts that people we care about. It afflicts us sometimes. So why? Why, if God is good, and if God knows what's going on, why is there so much suffering? Maybe, this prisoner says to John, maybe it's because God is just weak. Maybe the gods of Rome are more powerful than the gods that you follow, or this single god that you follow, John. And John says, huh, Well, let me tell you part of the vision I had. And so that's what we're going to do. We're going to look today at the part of the vision that John might answer to that prisoner who's next to him. He says, Then as I looked, I saw a door standing open in heaven. And the same voice I had heard before spoke to me like a trumpet blast. Last week we saw that this voice is the voice of Jesus. Jesus tells him things all through this, this revelation. The voice says, come up here and I will show you what must happen after this. And instantly I was in the spirit and I saw a throne in heaven and someone sitting on it. So he is brought through this door. The door is is opened in heaven and he sees the other side. He sees what's going on in eternity. Right? He sees what's going on in the realm where God dwells. And what does he see? Well, his attention is instantly drawn to this throne. It's a, it's a throne room. It's a scene that, that people in the ancient world would have been familiar with. If not personally, at least they would have known about them. So he says, I saw a, a, a throne in heaven and someone sitting on it. He says, the one sitting on the throne was as brilliant as gemstones like jasper and carnelian and the glow of an emerald circled his throne like a rainbow. Maybe what John is doing, uh, some commentators think John is just being very Jewish here. He's refusing to uh, make a graven image. If he writes down a description of God, then he's basically making a graven image of God. So maybe John is just shying away from telling you what he saw. But maybe it's like he doesn't have words. Um, uh, Because there's this gemstone thing. I remember when I was buying a... um, uh, wedding, uh, an engagement ring for my wife. I went to the the store and they said, "Look here," and they gave me the little loop. And you're supposed to be able to see stuff in it, and it's like. Uh. I couldn't see it. I don't have the skill. All I saw was very pretty, right? It's even prettier close up than it is far away. But beyond that, you know, cut, clarity, all those things, I don't get that. So maybe he just doesn't have the words. And he says it was beautiful, and it was colorful, and it was dazzling, and it it changed depending on how the light struck it. But honestly, I just don't have, there aren't words on earth for the thing I saw up in heaven. I don't know which it is, but whatever it is, John says, I saw someone on the throne. And then, having taken that in, then he says, oh, and then I noticed there were 24 thrones surrounding him. So it is like a royal court. There's the king, and then there's the other people who are around the throne. 24 thrones with 24 elders. And the elders were clothed in white and had gold crowns. On their heads. I actually have a picture of what one of these crowns look like. Um, so uh, the word "crown" here isn't, you know, I think of, you know, the Queen of England with the little fur at the bottom and then all that gold and jewels and so forth. Like the word "crown" um, in in the, that's used here is the word for a laurel wreath. It's it's what you gave somebody who won a contest or won a victory. This is one um, on the head of the Emperor uh, Domitian. And I don't know what he did to, to earn the crown, but that's his crown. Uh, we'll hear more about Domitian, so hang on to, to that name. He was the emperor probably about the time that John wrote this letter. So um, they have crowns on their head. The white probably signifies purity. Um, the crown probably signifies some kind of a victory. And it's, it's the type of crown that's made out of laurel leaves or um, olive leaves, but it's gold. So it's like the the one that shows you you did something important, but even better. So, uh, who are these elders? Uh, people don't know. Some people say it's a rank of uh, angelic being that there are the elders, like there are seraphim and, and cherubim, or whatever. Uh, who knows? Um, other people say, no, that these are these are um, representing the twelve tribes of Israel and the twelve apostles. And other people say, well, yeah, but the timeline doesn't work out. And if you're going to start working on a timeline of revelation, well, good luck. So I don't know how to how to make sense of that. I tend to go with the theory that these tw- 24 people represent the 12 tribes of Israel and the 12 apostles who, according to tradition, went to all the different places. You know, St. Andrew went to Scotland and Thomas to India and places like that. So basically they represent the church as it extends into the whole world. So that's my theory. Um, or that's the theory I like best. So uh, then, back to the throne. His attention is drawn back to the throne immediately. From the throne came flashes of lightning and the rumble of thunder. And in front of the throne there were seven torches and burning flames. Now again, John, growing up Jewish, he would have been hearing this every year. He would have heard the stories about Sinai. The people assemble. They they encamp around Mount Sinai, and um, they hear the thunder and lightning. Uh, the Ten Commandments are given to them, and they're terrified, and they say to Moses, you go up and get the rest of this. Uh, we'll stay down here because we don't like getting any closer to this mountain when it's doing that stuff. So he says, I recognize that much at least because I remember those stories when I was a kid. He says, um, And in the, in the front of the throne was a shiny sea of glass sparkling like crystal. And again, uh, the sea has, has a lot of meanings for John, not mostly good, I mean, if you think about it, he's on an island prison. The sea is not a good image for John. And so uh, there's a whole question, what is that doing there? What does it represent? And basically, we'll just have to watch as, as the rest of this vision unfolds to get some idea of what the sea represents. So we'll come back to that over the next several weeks. But then, in the center and around the throne were four living beings. And I mentioned these to the children. These are pretty weird uh, uh, creatures. John just calls them living beings. It means uh, things that are alive. So they're not dead but beyond that he's not going to he's not going to go into any detail. They have some aspects in common with the seraphim we heard about from uh the prophecy of Isaiah. They also have things in common with the cherubim um, not the cherubim you see on a on a Hallmark greeting card, you know, at Valentine's Day. Those cherubs are very cute and cuddly. The cherubs that Ezekiel sees in uh chapter 1 and 10 of his book uh, are much more like this. So, so John doesn't try to pin down, are these seraphim, are they cherubim? He just says they're living beings. And um, they've got eyes. The eyes all around. They can see everything that's going on. Um, maybe they see everything. Maybe they just see almost everything. You know, but not much gets by them. Okay, so they're they're aware of what's going on around them. And um, they've got six wings. They can go wherever they want, up, down, sideways. They they they're like a bird in their freedom, but even more so. So, what do they do with that? Well, it says day after day and night after night they keep on saying, "Holy, holy, holy." is the Lord God, the Almighty, the one who always was, who is, and is still to come. So, holy, that's a church word. What does holy mean? Well, this whole vision is holy. Holy means to be different, to be radically different, to be out of the common way, okay? And that is God. God is holy squared, holy cubed. God is out there. God is totally different from the the stuff that we encounter here in the created world. God is different. God is utterly different. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God, the Almighty. The Almighty, um, John borrows a word uh, from the Greek culture. It's Pantocrator. It's ruler of everything. John says he is the ruler of everything. The one who always was, who is, and is still to come. He says he's eternal. That there is nothing that changes about God. God is unchanging in a good way. Remember, Jesus talked about the man who built his house upon the rock. God is a foundation you can count on. That it's not gonna shift and, and, and move around and everything you built fall apart. If you lean on God, it's, you can count on it. If you navigate by God, the North Star, the North Star stays where it's supposed to be. The other stars, they move around. But the North Star is unchanging. It's fixed. You can, you can orient yourself by that. So the four living beings talk about the nature of God. They talk about who God is in His essence. But look at what the elders say in response. It says, every time they do this, whenever the living beings give glory and honor and thanks to the one sitting on the throne, whenever they talk about who God is, it says the 24 elders fall down and worship the one sitting on the throne, the one who lives forever, and they lay their crowns before the throne and they say, they say, you are worthy. Why is God worthy? Why is God worthy? God is worthy not because of what He is, but because of what He does. It says, you created all things, and they exist because you created what you pleased. You created what you pleased. In a way, this is answering what the living creatures said. Uh, have you ever had a project? Maybe you wanted to finish the bathroom. Maybe you wanted to to put in a new kitchen. Have you ever done like a home improvement project where... Your dream and reality, you know, your dream and your budget were in conflict. And so, yeah. so, you know, a landscaping in the backyard or something where you have a vision and then when, when it gets down to brass tacks, you can't actually do it. You, you, it's better. It's a clear improvement over what you had before, but it's not quite what you wanted. The elders say that's not true for God. God created exactly what pleased him. Everything in heaven and on earth was made exactly the way God wanted it. There was no kind of, well, we'll just have to compromise in this area. Well, it's not quite what we'd hoped for. Everything. That's how almighty God is. Now, if we're the prisoner standing next to John, we take all this in and we say, yeah, but you still haven't told me why are you suffering here? Doesn't, why doesn't your God do something about it? And I'll tell you, that's in chapter 5. The vision's not over. And we're not going to look at that today because, I, because there's enough here. But before we go, I'll give you, if you're not going to be here next week, I'll, I'll give you a, a, a tip. I'll give you a hint. It's Jesus, okay? We're going to find out more about Jesus here in chapter 5. But before we go there... Before we go there, all we've got here is just this picture of who God is and how he acts. This picture of the court, the, the, the royal court where the, the creatures in heaven give praise and glory to God for who he is and what he does. And that's the problem that this prisoner is really getting at. He's saying, you've got a God who is capable of doing anything. He can do anything he wants, and in heaven, he is rendered glory and honor. In heaven, people worship him. But not here. Not here. Here on earth, there are people who reject God. They just reject the whole notion. Or maybe what they do is they say, I am like God myself in this important way. I get to run my life. Or better yet, I get to run my life and your life. The Emperor Domitian, remember we saw a picture of Domitian. Domitian implemented uh, or, or reinstituted uh, emperor worship, which was off and on throughout all the emperors. This is Domitian again. Um, uh, he, Whenever he went somewhere... The, the proper thing to say, you know, wasn't your majesty or anything. In, in the emperor, in the emperor cult of Rome, the thing you said when the emperor showed up was you said, you are worthy. Axios A. You are worthy. And Domitian himself, he implemented a new add-on to that. He said the way to address him was, oh Lord our God. So John is answering that. His vision, is of a world, of a of a realm, of a place where people look at God and say, No. Domitian thinks he's worthy. Domitian says he's a God, but there is a real God who is truly worthy. This is why John's in prison. Because he knows of a place where there is someone who is truly worthy to receive honor and glory and praise. Where there is a Lord, and a God. And here on earth, here on earth, that's not true. Here on earth, there are people who claim that for themselves, who would take God's honor and glory. But there's also people like a lot of us who say, no, I don't believe that, but you know what, I'm going to go along with it. I don't believe that this world is the way God wants it to be, but you know what? It's the world we've got, and I'm just going to do my best to fly under the radar. I'm going to go along to get along. I'm going to knuckle under because, honestly, who wants to fight City Hall? If we believe in an almighty God, then it is just as much a sin. It is just a much a reflection of our fallenness that we would go along with the Domitians of the world as it is to be a Domitian. So, we'll come back next week to see what God actually does. But before we do, think it through this way. What is God going to do? What is God going to do? If you are a good God, if you have made exactly what you pleased, if you are all-powerful, and you know what's going on on earth. You know that the worship that is properly given to you in heaven is not being given to you on earth and that there are little tinpot dictators scattered across the globe who are demanding people <coughs> treat them the way they should treat you. If you are that God, what are you going to do? Are you going to say, "Oh well, I swung and I missed." Oh well, Too bad, Satan gets this round, but someday I'm going to make a globe where they do worship me. What would an almighty God do if he knew that there was a part of creation where people were in error and people were oppressed, people were in pain, people suffered because they didn't know who God was and how God felt toward them? Well, of course he would act. Of course you would act. We're going to see how next week, but just pause there and ask yourself, how does God relate to me? Where am I in this picture? Am I Domitian? Are there people I'm oppressing? I hope not. I don't, I'm looking around. I don't see any truly bad people here, but you'll have to figure that out yourself. But I think a lot of us, find ourselves in the place where we say, look, I'm not going to fight City Hall. This is just the way the world works and I'm going to go along. I'm going to do the best I can with what I've got and if it's not what God wants, well, I'm not going to put myself on Devil's Island. So I invite you to examine yourself. Ask yourself, am I doing that? Am I going along with a with a world system that I know is corrupt and fallen? Do do I go along with the brokenness of the world, or do I say, no, this is not right? I believe in a God who is putting things right. And then I would ask you this. Be the change that you want to see. You know, it's easy to point to Washington and say, oh my God, every time I turn in the news, uh, Russia, Washington, South Sudan, Syria... How about we start with ourselves? How about if we say, God, you are almighty, and I trust that you are working on South Sudan. You are working on Washington. But I know, Lord, I need work too. I need to be healed. I need my brokenness to be fixed. You say, God, start with me. Fix what's broken in me as you fix this world. Repair me, heal me. You know, sometimes we feel like we have dug a hole so deep that there's no getting out of it. Or maybe we didn't dig the hole. Maybe somebody else dug the hole and we fell into it. But if we believe the vision that John had, if we believe that there is an almighty God, then there is no hole too deep because his mighty arm is long and it is strong to save. Ask God to help you. Ask God to make you what you wish the whole world was. Jesus said, this is what we pray when we ask in the Lord's Prayer. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done here, the way it is there. Here on earth, as in heaven. Make me, Lord, fit for heaven, as you make the world fit for heaven. Let's pray. Loving God, We, we, we give, we give lip service to the idea that you are almighty. But sometimes, Lord, we act differently. We act as if you are unwilling or unable to do anything about the brokenness in our world. Lord, help us to remember that in heaven, everything bows down and worships the one thing worth worshiping, you. And help us to be like that here on earth. Lord, to whatever extent we participate, we are we are compromised and caught up in the brokenness of our world. Lord, we pray that you would heal us, start with us, help us to be that change that we seek in the whole world. We pray all these things in the name of Christ, our Savior. Amen.